0: Welcome to Oaks Church, where we grow great lives and build big people. Thank you for checking out our podcast. We hope that you're encouraged by this life-changing message from Pastor Joel Scrivener. For more information, visit us online at oakschurch.com or follow us on social media at Oaks Church Texas. Today I wanna to speak to you along the lines of the protector of the promise. This story of Christmas is a beautiful story. Literally, it's the fulfillment of the promise that God made first. At the fall of Adam and Eve, God made a promise that there would be an opportunity for salvation. And specifically, that a child would be born that would defeat the enemy and redeem all of mankind. You know, our Christian faith is not the only Uh, faith that's connected to a miraculous child. This is actually a story that runs through almost every single culture that this anointed God King, this golden child would be born that would redeem and restore the order of the world. This is a story that has been spread all through all cultures around the world. And there's an expectation. And I want to share something with you today. I want to expand your horizons. I believe with all my heart. See, the scripture says that during During the time of the apostles, after the work of Jesus, when he ascended into heaven, that his apostles went forth, and it said they turned the whole world upside down. It said the gospel spread to the entire world in that first century. It spread all throughout the world, every corner of the known world at that time. And this understanding of who Jesus is has permeated cultures all around the world. There is no limit to what God can do. Oftentimes, we as humans are stuck in a place of understanding. We look at how people live, we, we watch how people act, and we don't understand. We think, well, that person can't possibly be going to heaven. I've seen how they act, I've seen how they speak. Can I tell you, I've seen some of the most wonderful, incredible things in my lifetime of the goodness and the grace of God reaching out and restoring and delivering people who don't deserve it. In fact, is there anybody in here that deserves it? I don't think any of us do. None of us deserve the love of God. All of us, according to scripture, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and none is without sin. In fact, Scripture says if you declare that you have no sin, Scripture says you're a liar, which is a sin. We all have issues. But God has the ability to go before us and do incredible things. A friend of mine named Kevin... Uh, had, uh, had, had a dad who was extremely strong-willed, very intelligent. He was a college professor. He decided um, that he didn't need God. He was too intelligent for God. He was a, a, he was a lecturer and a, and a professor and a very intelligent man, very articulate, a great speaker, and he almost had pity for people that believed in God. He thought that was a crutch for the weak. And he was uh, such a powerful force. Now, all of his children believed in God and lived for the Lord. But he himself had no need for it. Until all of a sudden, one day in his later years, he got sick. And he came down with a respiratory disease. And in the last few months of his life, he lost his breath and his ability to speak. And he was silent for over a month. And his family was gathering around him. And the doctor said he's coming close to the end. He actually slipped into a coma and was in a coma for a number of days, I believe about a week. And his family was around him. They were expecting him to go and to pass. And all of a sudden, Kevin, pardon me, his, Kevin was the son. John was his main. John wakes up from the coma, looks at his children, and says, I have been such a fool. And for 30 minutes, he declares the majesty of Jesus Christ, tells the story how Jesus had revealed himself to him in his coma, praises the name of Jesus, preaches the name of Jesus for 30 minutes, then he loses his breath, falls back asleep, and dies. Don't tell me that God is not able to save. He's mighty to save. And there is no limit to his goodness. There is no limit to his love. The thieves that were on the cross next to Jesus, both had an equal opportunity for faith. Neither of them deserved it, but one of them put their faith in Jesus. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Didn't deserve it. See, it's the goodness of God that draws people to repentance It's the goodness of God, the undeserved mercy of God that creates this wonder in our hearts. Why does God love me so much when I'm so unfaithful at times? Why does he use me? Why does he continue? Why doesn't he just cast me aside, pick someone better? Have you ever thought like that? I know I have. There have been times where I've, in my conversations with God, I've laughed and i said, God, you knew what I was when you picked me. You could have picked somebody way more compliant. I don't know what your nature is. Some people are naturally trusting. I, I, I am a naturally trusting person. Other people look at people and look at the world, and their initial response is, I wonder what their motive is. What are they up to? What do they want? What's their angle? Uh, I can't help myself. I see the best in people. Uh, It's a decision. It's a choice that I make. Uh, At times, I've been naive. At times, I've been gullible. At times, I've been taken advantage of. Right? Uh, do, do it once, uh, shame on you. Do it twice, shame on me. We've probably heard that, that you know, you, okay, you did that to me this one time, but I'm not going to trust you ever again. It's easy to fall into a place of being incredibly jaded and losing that sense of wonder. And we've talked for these last few weeks about how important it is to hold on to that place of wonder because it's our superpower, Listen, I've met people uh, in in the church and out of the church. One uh, lady that I was coaching inside of a major corporation uh, had a perspective because of what she'd been through in life. We were talking one time, and she had zero hope for mankind. In fact, she literally had been so jaded and so hurt in her lifetime that she believed the best thing that could happen for mankind was nuclear holocaust, for humans to be wiped out, and for the animals to take over and rule the world again. And her reasoning was because humans are so cruel. I'm like, I literally said, Have you not seen the animal planet? Have you not seen they eat their own young? It's, it, it's really nasty in all kingdoms, right? And there is redeeming characteristics inside of mankind. God's not done with us. But we've got to hold on to our place of wonder and we've got to believe in the promises of God. God is the protector of his promises. Do you understand that? God is the protector of his promises. I'm going to read you a couple of scriptures. Jeremiah 1 verse 12 says this. You have seen correctly, God was speaking to Jeremiah, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. God watches. In fact, that translation, as I begin to look into the original language, it basically is saying that God is vigilantly Awake and aware, focusing on what he has said to make sure it comes to pass. Another passage in Isaiah 55 says that so shall his word be that goes forth from his mouth. He will not let it return to him empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent. God watches his word to perform it. He is a keeper of his promises, This is what Gabriel said to Mary. Gabriel said, no word from God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. See, this story of Jesus coming to the earth, this story of Jesus being born, is the story of God protecting and watching over his promise for over 4,000 years of human experience and human history, God watched over his word to perform it and to fulfill the promise that he made to mankind. What promises has God made to you? What promises do you have for your life from God? We're going to dive into that in just a moment, but I want to take you to a place in the Christmas story. In fact, this is the story that we actually get the time Line around this December 25th season. I've heard a number of people say at times, Why do we celebrate Christmas at Christmas time? Jesus wasn't born in December. He was born as a Passover lamb that would die for the people, and lambs are born in the spring. Most likely, Jesus had a March or April birthday. So, why do we celebrate it at Christmas? Why do we celebrate it on December 25th, and the story that I'll read you today is the reason that we do. It's also the reason for gift-giving inside of this season. This is the story of the wise men. The wise men weren't actually there at the moment of birth. The shepherds were the ones that came. They were close there in Bethlehem. The wise men had to travel from a very far place, and we'll walk through some of the details here in just a moment, but let's look at the story here. This is Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi, that's where we get the word magician, Magi or wise men, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod had heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born, and they said, In Bethlehem. For this is where the prophet, what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd. My people. Then Herod called the magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. Say exact time that the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, "Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him." After that, they heard. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them and stopped over the place. Where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child, not the baby, with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is a story that is full of mystery. It's full of intrigue. It's, a, it's, it's got so many details and layers inside of this story that you wouldn't see right off the bat. In fact, most of us probably sang the song, We Three Kings of Orient Are, right? Right? Is it smoking on a rubber cigar? I can't remember the the, the real (laughs) lyrics to it. But the idea that there were only three is nowhere in Scripture. There were three gifts, so people assumed that it meant there were three kings. The reason that these are called kings is because these are most likely uh, magi, wise men, a royal lineage of people from Persia or Babylon, The reason that they would know about a coming Messiah is because about 500 years earlier there was a man named Daniel who was taken captive by a king named Nebuchadnezzar. And he had a couple of his friends with him that you know about, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel and his friends were Jews of royal lineage. All of these These magi, these wise men, were people that as the Persian Empire would expand, they would select princes, noble-born young men that were uh, They were high-born, they were well-educated, they were the sharpest, they were the finest bloodlines, and bring them into servitude of the king, and they would be uh, made into his uh, closest advisors. The idea was that I'm going to train them in all of our culture. If I can get the royalty of each of these nations trained in our culture and embracing our culture, then they will spread it because they have influence. So all of these people that were a part of this court of the magi, the wise men, were people of royal lineage. That's why you see the picture and the story of it being told that they were kings that came. It's because they were all of a kingly lineage. See, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego defied King Nebuchadnezzar, when Daniel defied the edict and prayed anyway, was thrown into the lion's den and instead of being eaten, an angel came and held the lion's mouth shut And if that wasn't enough of a sign, when King Nebuchadnezzar tried to kill the three Israelite boys in the fiery furnace, the furnace was so hot, the people that threw them in burned to death and died. But they were in the fire, and they didn't get burned. They didn't get singed. They didn't even smell like smoke. And King Nebuchadnezzar looks and sees. He says, we threw three people in, but I see a fourth person in there, and it's the shape of the Son of Man. The story is, is that Jesus Christ was with them in bodily form inside of the fire and protected them and kept them from the flames, and when they came out of the flames, King Nebuchadnezzar repented and made a decree that there was only one God to be worshipped in all of the Babylonian empire that would spread throughout the Persian empire, and that was the one true God of of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It was the God of Daniel that was worshipped, and no other gods were allowed to be worshipped. And all of a sudden in Babylon and in Persia, the story of the Messiah and the coming king would spread throughout that entire empire. For 500 years, these magi studied, they studied the stars, they studied the scriptures, they knew the prophecies. Daniel himself had a prophecy in the ninth chapter that he walked through a specific number of weeks and years and gave them a roadmap of when the star would rise and when the child would be born. They had been waiting for 500 years to see a prophecy fulfilled passing it from generation to generation to generation. Modern day scientists can now track the star patterns. You understand this? They can look at the stars in the sky with all of their, uh, their powerful telescopes and they can literally run back time and look at where the stars were and they go all the way back to the turn of the millennia and they can trace... A time where the stars aligned and where a planet was inside of one of the constellations and would have been interpreted as a super king being born. This is a scientific reality now because there was an exact time. Herod said, what was the exact time that you saw this star? It's important. Why? Because he needed to know how old this child might be because he couldn't let there be a threat to his own throne. And these kings, these magi from afar, many scholars believe that there could be as many as 12 different magi. And with them, because they brought so much wealth, their own private army of around 300 people, this is a massive, traveling, fortified, armed party of royalty coming to see a 500-year-old prophecy from Daniel who they learned but actually hundreds of years more and even thousands of years of God's plan coming together. And they brought gifts. And historians believe that they arrived there in Bethlehem between December 25th and January 6th was the time that they were in Bethlehem. That's why Christmas. That's why December 25th. It's not because that's when Jesus was born in the manger. It's because that's when he was declared king by potentially 12 kings or royal princes that came and brought gifts that were very symbolic. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold and frankincense and myrrh are extremely valuable. They don't mean as much to us now. We all, if you were to choose between, could you have a pound of gold, a pound of frankincense, a pound of myrrh, all of us would choose the gold at this point in time, most likely. But in this day and age, Frankincense and myrrh were valued about dollar for dollar with what a pound of gold was. See, it was a combination of myrrh in the alabaster box. Do you remember the the woman that broke the the bottle of of perfume open over Jesus and worshiped Jesus with a bottle of perfume? And, And Judas said, why such waste? That could have been sold for a year's wages. A bottle of perfume could carry a family for a year. That's what it's worth was for a bottle of perfume. And these kings from afar brought vast amounts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold represents kingship. It was a gift that represented we're worshiping a king. Frankincense is connected to deity. It was a gift that represented this isn't just any king. This is the God king that's been born to mankind. In myrrh was actually a prophetic picture of his death, that he would die for all of mankind. If you remember at Jesus' death, Joseph of Arimathea, which is believed to actually be Mary's great-uncle, came and brought over a hundred pounds of this combination of precious oils, this myrrh, to anoint Jesus' body for burial. This is a massive offering. Why is Christmas connected to giving? It's because Christmas was when Jesus was worshipped by the royalty of the world. And it's also why the enemy wants to pervert Christmas and make it all about me, 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 me. When Christmas was actually all about the world, the world, the world, the world, the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Listen, this is why we decided This is why we we sought the Lord, to understand, Father, what do you want us to do at this Christmas season? This is our first Christmas. We want it to be significant. We want to create a tradition for our church, for Oaks Church, and that's where this concept of the Oaks global gift would be born, that in this season, and listen, can I tell you, in this season right now when we have an executed contract on a $3 million piece of property, it doesn't make sense to try to raise money for the world. It makes sense to to keep every dollar here. But if we live that way, we'll come to nothing. If we live to make the gospel go around the world, we can't be stopped. See, it's the principle of sowing and reaping. It's the principle of the tithe. It's the principle that I trust you, God, and I believe your promises. You are a promise keeper, you are a way maker. You open doors for me. And the scripture says that one man hoards unduly and comes to nothing, another one gives generously and gains even more. The promise connected to generosity is one of the greatest promises that we have. And if you are in a place of need, The most important thing you could do is sow a seed. Because his promises are true. So here we are at our first Christmas service on the 22nd of December. And in a little while, we'll take a special offering. Hopefully, you prayed about it with your family. We, uh, at dinner, prayed about it and talked with our kids. And our kids blew our minds with their generosity. How much do I have in my account, Daddy, this much? Okay, I want to give this much to Jesus. Okay. And I had to buck up and give more than my kids. (laughs) My kids stretched me. Right? Why? Because it's all about Jesus. This season isn't about what we can get. This season is about what we can give. This is a season where Jesus was worshipped with the wealth of nations. Why? Because there was a wicked king that was going to try to kill him. See, the passage, the story goes that an angel came in a dream and spoke to the magi and said, hey, don't go back to Herod, take a whole different route home because I don't want him to know when you left. And then this massive amount of wealth, some scholars believe that these gifts, uh, this gold, frankincense and myrrh, in our our equivalent, the gifts could have equaled up to about four million dollars and that gift is what afforded them to transition and go to Egypt and live in Alexandria Egypt which would be like moving to north or to New York City in our modern day in New York City for whatever you pay for your mortgage you can get a closet it's expensive and God was preparing a way For his son, Jesus, to be provided for in one of the wealthiest cities in the world. A number of years later, they had to be able to afford to come back. See, we don't see, watch this, we don't see Joseph hardly anywhere in scripture after Jesus was about 12 years of age. Scholars believe that Joseph likely died early. And that's why we don't see him in Jesus' adult ministry anywhere. It's also why when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he looks at his best friend, John, and says, uh, John, behold your mother, speaking about his mother, Mary. Mother, behold your son, saying, will you please take care of my mom when I'm gone? Some scholars believe that this wealth was actually put into the care of Joseph Arimathea, who was a wealthy man and and was a relative, and he actually looked over the family assets. See, Jesus, there there is no passage. I know we want to say that Jesus was a carpenter. There's actually no passage anywhere that says he's a carpenter. He's the carpenter's son. You could interpret that and say, oh, well, that means that he would have learned his father's trade, maybe, if his father was still alive when he came into his adulthood. But what he's actually called all through scripture is rabbi. And you don't get called rabbi without going to school and getting a significant education. It's possible that the gift that was given not just took care of the travel to Egypt and back to Nazareth, but actually provided for the education of the rabbi, the greatest teacher that would ever be known on the the, the planet. God fulfills his promises. He watches over his word to perform it. He kept his promise to save us. My big question for you today is what promises are you holding on to? What promises of God are you holding on to? Do you do you even know the promises of God? You, you need to have a whole bunch of them memorized. There's actually a book my wife and I have used called God's Promises. <laughs> And it has almost every single topic you could ever think of in there. And the promise of God from his word of, of what you could hold on to. I just did a Google search a couple days ago and looked up God's promises. And, and, and literally 50 different promises. I'm going to read a few, of you, a few of them to you. In my prayer time this week, the Lord said, tell my people I will never fail them. My word to them will never fail. I will watch over my promises to perform them. But then he began to explain to me, in weeks to come I may read this journal entry to you that I have, where God was explaining in depth what happens when we believe and declare and obey his word. But I'll just give you a little tease about this. I've got a new series that I'm going to start in the new year. It's called Made for This. I believe it may eventually be a new book. And it's about finding out and truly knowing what you were made for on this earth. And what you were made for, you can't know what you were made for without deeply knowing who made you. And we've got to know his promises. So what the Lord declared to me this week, he said, Joel, there are levels of my promises. There are layers of my promises. And and he said to me, there are the declared promises and the whispered promises. See, the declared promises are all through his word. And you can look them up and you can speak them and you can read them and you can can declare them over your own life. But when you really find a promise of God that latches onto your heart and you seek God's face about that promise, he'll begin to whisper to you how it connects into your life. God doesn't want you just holding on to blanket promises, although blanket promises are great. God wants to whisper his personalized promises into your life. I'm standing in a promise that God made me a couple years ago right now. You're inside of a promise that God made to me. What we're walking in, what we're building with this Oaks Church was a promise that God made to me that I believed and I declared and I stood up in and said, all right, Father, I'm not afraid. I'll swing for the fences. I'll go for this thing. What promises has he made to you? Can I read you just a couple? This is a great one, Jeremiah 29, 11. Most of you know this one. God declaring, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. That's something to declare. Father, I know you've got great plans for me. I know your plans are to prosper me and not to harm me. Plans to give me a great future and a great hope. Declaring his promises will build your faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of the Lord. Here's a great promise Isaiah 54, verse 17. No weapon formed against you shall prevail and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. Come on, that's a good promise. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Say that. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. God will refute every accusation that comes against me. Say that. God will refute every accusation that comes against me. This is a heritage for me. An inheritance for me. God's promises. I love this one. This has been a personal promise to me my whole life. Deuteronomy 31.8. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you and will never leave you nor forsake you Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Come on. God is with you. He's going before you. He's fighting for you on your behalf. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's with you in the darkest of times. He keeps his promises. His word will never fail. His word will never fail. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.